the Digital Society podcast brings together leading journalists, politicos, and key policy influencers to explore the impact technological change is having in the UK and across the world. And it's hosted by Atos Senior Vice President for Strategy and Communications, Kulver cool Ranger. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Digital Society podcast. My name is Kulvira cool Ranger and I look after public affairs, strategy, marketing, communication for Atos across Northern Europe, APAC and India. And I'm delighted today to be back in London, but also to be joined by not one, but two absolutely fantastic guests. And we need two guests because when we talk about this subject, it's something that is so sizable, so significant, so important that you really need people who know their stuff. And that's why I'm ecstatic to have joining us today. Firstly, Tom Turgenhat, MP, Member of Parliament in the United Kingdom House of Commons. Tom has an amazing record having entered Parliament in 2015. He is chair of the House of Commons Foreign Affairs Select Committee. Uh, and prior to that, Became becoming a politician, Tom served in the British Army and saw service in both Iraq and Afghanistan. He also acted as a military assistant to the Chief of the Defence Staff. Tom, really delighted for you to join us. Now, before we get going, let me also introduce my second guest, Zaina Zakur. Zaina is, I'm delighted to say, a colleague of mine, but she's much more than that. She's Vice President and Global Chief Technology Officer for Atos in digital security. This is a significant role in our global business because, and I'm very proud and a number of us are, we are number one in cybersecurity delivery, both in Europe and globally. So Zena's role in both helping us get there and maintaining that position is hugely significant. She has over 20 years experience in the cybersecurity field, covering the entire spectrum of cybersecurity from risk management, compliance, and privacy. Zena has also secured great recognition as one of the 100 fascinating females fighting cybercrime, but also being listed as one of the top 10 influencers influencing cybersecurity in France. So Zena, you're recognized nationally, you're a global leader for our business, and you're helping so much in this cyber war that we all face. So welcome to both of you. Hello. Very, very nice to see you. Look, we're, we're going to get straight into it because there's a lot to cover. And how we'll probably look, because cybersecurity could mean anything to anyone, and there's a lot of topics we're going to touch on, but I, I'll just mark our cards. We are going to talk a bit about consumer public views on cybersecurity versus government, national government challenges and views on cybersecurity. Um, we're obviously going to move on into the area of international cybersecurity and touch on what's happening in, in Ukraine and with Russia. Um, and then probably come back to, right, what does this mean about resilience and what does it really mean for the future of this area? So plenty for us to get stuck into. But let me start with Tom. Um, if I could talk from that, you know, you're, you're a politician, you, you have constituents, you represent people. And people have concerns about cybersecurity, especially when there's a, a data breach, let's call it that. Or, you know, something happens that grabs the headline that says a well-known business brand service which was looking after people's information has been hacked has been you know uh, has been impacted by uh, those dastardly people out there who are the operating in the shadows how how do you see that 
changing or what's happening around the public's mood around cybersecurity at the moment from your perspective? Well, I think one of the things that's really striking is the awareness of it. Look, I mean, I, I don't know about what you were up to over the weekend, Colvia, but um, uh, knowing you as I do, I'm pretty sure you were like me, glued to Eurovision, uh, yes. watching watching Sam Ryder uh, sing his heart out and, uh, and, and cheering as Ukraine won. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure we were both there on the barricades waving our flags. So um, it was it was quite something to see that the Italian government the next day reported that there had been unusual cyber activity, which suggests that uh, whatever um, President Putin says about ignoring popular uh, competitions like this, he's clearly pretty concerned about it. And uh, he sees the uh, the message, the political message behind it. And he's looking to intervene and looking to cause problems. And, and I'm afraid that 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 reality that cyber attacks, uh, whether it's on our, you know, on countries or on song contests, is now part of our lives is something that I think has uh, has become much more, uh, you know, that everybody's become much more aware of. In fact, you, you're right. I, I, I was glued to the results, exciting uh, Eurovision song contest that it was. But Zainab, you probably see this perspective, and we see it through the prism of the Olympic Games, which we've been supporting for 30 years as the uh, lead IT technology provider. We see that, don't we, when those events occur? Yes, definitely. I mean, everything that uh, any events that is a major event that will bring people together is in a way a platform where potentially cyber criminals would like to send a message, if I may say. So definitely, uh, when we talk about Olympic Games throughout the years, we have seen an increased number of attacks and it seems number of also um, complexity in the attacks that are being launched. So we are we are facing cyber criminals that are also highly skilled. Uh, nowadays. So it's a big problem for us. And I, I agree with Tom as well. I mean, we've seen the people today are very concerned because also when we talk about cyber attacks, it has become mainstream. Uh, in the mainstream media, we are covering it. So people hear about it. They see the concerns. And nowadays, we've seen uh, a lot of uh, organiz a lot of, uh, of consumers that talk about privacy law, that are concerned about the privacy law, happy that there are privacy laws today that are protecting their personal data as well and forcing potentially, you know, the industry as a whole to become more mature about how we are protecting data and how we are protecting the digital world that is today our key uh, uh, platform to, to consume uh, digital uh, products and services. But it, so both of you mentioned that, that it, there's increasing attacks that can be coming from different agents and states. But I also personally feel somewhat sometimes maybe even me myself a bit laissez-faire about my cybersecurity because i kind of take it that somebody's protecting me uh, and it's only when i see a headline or tom as you say when someone acknowledges something's happened they think you step back and you go oh hold on a minute you know am i cyber secure but then i quickly get into my next tweet or my next activity on my device on a phone on a public network somewhere and move on so where where should consumers and the public be in their minds around how much they're preoccupied with cybersecurity or not? Well, uh, you know as well as I do that, it, that this is a very hard one. And the, the reality is it's hard because it depends on judgment. Uh, there are some things you'll do uh, that, frankly, you should be able to rely on the, on, the, on, the, on the company you're dealing with. If you're buying something online, if you're you know, from a major brand, uh, then you should be able to trust them. And I know that a company like yours provides a lot of the a lot of the trust infrastructure, if you see what I mean, that goes that allows that confidence. 
But there are other things where we do have a responsibility. And, you know, the National Cybersecurity Centre, which uh, does an enormously uh, important job and actually a brilliant job uh, under Lindy Cameron, uh, is extremely impressive in making sure that um, the protection that the state can offer is available to everybody, quite literally everybody. You don't need to be a company, you can just be an individual. And so whether you get a phishing attack or whether you need advice on how to change your password, uh, ncsc.gov.uk, there you get a bit of a plug for them, um, is a great place to start because this is about all of us and we do need to be careful that we're aware of the different ways in which we can be attacked and the different ways in which we should be looking at passwords and our own personal security. Well, you said that passwords, isn't it? But that uh, that entry point for so many people. And yes, you know, in in the UK with the National Cybersecurity Centre (NCSS) and NCSC, uh, we work extensively there. But with other international bodies as well, as Zainab knows, uh, and and I've noted that you know, the expenditure in this area, and obviously as a commercial organisation, we're we're seeing the investment that people are putting in. But it's considered that by the International Data Corporation predicts worldwide spending on cybersecurity solutions will reach 133.7 billion dollars by the end of this year so we can see the investment going in Zainab, what how do you see that that investment being used what where do you see people sort of saying okay this is where we need to invest yeah, that's a very good question. Today, when we talk with organizations, you know, they are adopting a risk-based approach. They need to understand what are their risks. So what is the key core business, you know, and what are the key data that I must protect and then identify what are the key solutions. Yet we see across industries and even, you know, across geographical location, uh, investment that are priorities today at the top of the agenda of the IT spending or the, of the cybersecurity strategy of organization. First one is about how do I properly protect? How do I go to the security by design, for instance? Make sure that what I have implemented is strong enough to sustain cyber attacks, known cyber attacks, and potentially agile enough to adapt to the unknown that might come our way, all those changing threats and malware, like the zero-day malware. So this is the, the first, the foundation, I would say, is that protection. Yet we are seeing also a lot of investment on detection and specifically response, where organizations were shy in terms of investing into the response part of the story. And now they realize, I mean, I have built my fortress. I know I can potentially protect from 80% of cyber attacks, you know, if I take the 80-20 rule, but there will be cyber attacks, stealth attacks that will go through the layers of protection. How can I detect quickly those attacks and how do I respond to them is the maturity of an organization, is how we can protect in the end my business as well as the personal data of my customers, the consumers. So today those three pillars are key in the investment of organization, protecting, detecting and responding to cyber attacks. Yeah, I think you're right, Sena. And and I think, you know, fundamentally, my, my point has been driving to what I've been asking you both is because I feel the the level of responsibility for cybersecurity, especially for consumers, tends to be in at least a consumer's mind and probably does sit with those organizations, Tom, as you were mentioning, the businesses, the brands, the service providers, um, so that they can offer a, a service that consumers can feel safe engaging with. They're not need to worry about every single interaction they're doing. So that investment underpins the trust, the relationship and the building of their business. Um, but I think what, what I'd like to ask then, so moving that on, 
is in terms of where does national government Tom play in that conversation? How how you know how do they how do you see the needs for people to step up if they're not in terms of providing the level of investment or cybersecurity that should be there? Um, and how do you engage with organisations on the topic? Well, that's a very interesting question because, of course, so much of this today is provided by business, and it's in many ways it's an area where government is only beginning to step in. Uh, but the reality is that government is stepping in, in, sadly, in both ends. On our side, of course, it's stepping in in the security side and and coordinating action between uh, different providers, different enablers, different companies, uh, and 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 different protection groups. Uh, on the other side, I'm afraid the government is set, stepping in in the sense of uh, as a hostile state actor. You know, there are countries like China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, all of which have got very very active cyber espionage, cyber hacking teams some of which are used for uh, state reasons, others are used for purely commercial reasons. So this, you know, just because you don't have a business um, that connects to, I don't know, defense or the government or something, doesn't mean you won't be a victim. We know of some companies that have been hacked by North Korea simply in order to steal money. Uh, it's entirely, a, uh, you know, it's entirely criminal. Uh, we know of others where it's journalists or people who are connected to others who are being attacked in order to undermine political opponents or to uh, convince people that um, various stories or whatever it may be in the media uh, are either true or not true. Uh, and so we're seeing a whole series of things because, of course, the reality is that we are our own most vulnerable points. Uh, I mean that because, of course, we're our own most vulnerable points when we don't change our passports, when we don't uh, passwords, forgive me, when we don't change our passwords, when we don't um, update our um you know, patches on computers and things like that. But we're also our own worst, uh, you know, our own worst enemies, our own greatest vulnerabilities. When we send each other emails, I mean, Culver, if you send me an email with an attachment, I'll probably trust it. Um, in fact, I'll definitely trust it because it comes from you. Um, but the uh, but the reality is that others could use your name uh, and pretend to be you to send me an email, which I then open and then infects my system. Now, I I know, for example, that there are people who have received emails supposedly from me. Now, they're not actually from me, but they're from uh, email accounts uh, like AOL and Yahoo and others of these sort of free accounts that are still available. And uh, they look like they're from me and they have attachments sometimes, not always. And what they're designed to do is to undermine the credibility of my work. Uh, and they're also designed to infect other people who I'm working with on some issues. Now, all of these ones come from China um, and they're done by the Chinese state. Um, there will be others who are doing it for profit reasons and so on. And that's where the government has a role because the reality is that companies can do so much um, and many are doing a hell of a lot, uh, but actually there comes a point where the, our government needs to step in and very much in the same way as uh, the Royal Navy flew the white ensign and anybody who flew the red ensign was guarded on the sea lanes for hundreds of years. Today, um, we need to have the government flying the white ensign, but also businesses being able to ask for protection like British ships did uh, however many hundred years ago and, uh, and, and, and come under the protection of the Royal Navy. Now they come under protection, not on the sea lanes, but on the e-lanes. And this time it's by the National Cybersecurity Centre and of course, uh, GCHQ. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? The alliances uh, of hundreds of years uh, are emerging or require to be re-established in the digital world. It's uh, interesting you use those analogies of uh, the ships and 
in, in, in the, of that time. Uh, Zainab, how do you see it on that international stage, international organisations? We obviously, as a major organisation in cybersecurity, uh, work with many others. Uh, what kind of collaboration are you seeing between businesses in, in how we do this? Yeah, I mean, um, I fully aligned with Tom's view is that today you cannot face um, the cyber threat on your own. Really, we need to uh, to work together, private sector and public sector together. And uh, I've seen, for instance, also at the EU level, we are talking about this joint cyber unit that will be developed to to facilitate the information sharing uh, on cyber threats, you know, among member states, for instance, uh, information sharing on the incident risk to facilitate uh, access to pool of uh, European capabilities and expertise to support, as I was telling, you know, when I am in the middle of a cybersecurity crisis and attack, I need help. Certain organizations cannot do it on their own. They will be charged to security providers like us, but also they will reach out to the national authorities on this front. And I think there's also this need to bring a bit of a synergies around, you know, all those uh, EU operational bodies, you know, uh, Europol, ENISA, uh, CERT EU, and going above working together globally with uh, with our partners, national partners. But also I've seen a lot of initiatives coming really uh, from uh, organization like the Charter of Trust, which Atos is a member in, which has brought together uh, industry leaders, some of them are competitors, you know, in the business, but they came together because they know it's really by joining forces that we will be able to increase this level of maturity of the industries and be able to uh, face uh, this uh, the cyber the the cyber um, threat and those threat actors because today we're not dealing you know I have been in cybersecurity for 20 years and in the past you know there was more about you know the the hacker and the basement you know the stereotype that just want to send a message and just uh, you know um, block a business or uh, pull down your network but now we're dealing with stealth cyber attacks that can go unnoticed for months and months as we've seen them uh, uh, every month uh, we hear about those type of attacks. You have organized crimes that are doing this. As Tom said, nation-sponsored uh, set actors that are behind that. And when I'm talking about nation-sponsored set actors, some of them can get in your organization, steal the data, and leave in 30 minutes, one hour max. So this is the sophistication that you are dealing with, and organization cannot do it on their own. Joining, uh, you know, their power together, working together, working with the public sector, this is how also it's going to help us um, bring more maturity and more security by design in in this digital world. No, yeah, the 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 way that uh, it's evolved, the as you say, that the hackers and why is it that hackers always seem to be wearing hoodies when they're sort of defined as hackers? But you know, I think they give hoodies a bad name. But anyway, the the seriousness of it is the the almost professionalization in all the in all these areas of. of uh, uh, the bad actors in, in this space and, and the capability and skills that those people possess, which, you know, hopefully we could use for good. But let, let's let's address a bit of the, the the terrible elephant in the room at the moment now as we've been talking about this, which is uh, the war in Ukraine uh, uh, and and the impact of that from a cyber perspective. Uh, Tom, what have you seen changing um, or have you seen from your perspective uh, with this activity, with this war, uh, with the, the Russian state's um, invasion of this nation state. How has that sort of played out from your perspective from a cyber, uh, cyber viewpoint? 
Well, in a funny way, it's been the dog that hasn't barked. Uh, the reality is Russia's cyber, uh, long-threatened cyber attacks um, don't seem to have materialised in recent days and weeks, um, uh, not connected specifically to Ukraine anyway. Um, I'm sure there have been many of the ongoing stuff from the so-called uh, IRA, the Internet Research Agency, uh, that the uh, Russian state uses and, and the various different bears, as they call them, that uh, that have also been uh, so so important to Russia's cyber activity. So we certainly know that uh, they do have a capability, but they don't seem to have used it in the way that we feared. Now, I think there are some real questions there. Some of those are to do with uh, whether they have the capability to do it on the scale that we feared. Uh, and the second one is whether or not they actually have the capability to do it um, with people who actually don't really support this kind of action. Maybe there is some question there, because actually what we're seeing in Russia today is we're seeing young people, um, many young people, certainly those with most opportunity, most connections to the outside world, uh, actually choosing to leave the country. Uh, and I don't know what that's done to Russia's uh, cyber capabilities, but it is it, it could be having quite a severe effect. No, it's it's interesting is that the, the the response of uh, the people and then obviously the skills and capabilities to enable a state to do what it what it may want to do um, maybe don't align sometimes and it could be in this case as you're saying uh, from what we're hearing and seeing. Um, but Zainab, how are you seeing? How are we? You know, we've had our we've had a view on making sure that we can monitor our services and our capabilities. We deliver. Um, uh, critical services, national critical services in many areas. Uh, we've had to ensure that our guard has been up uh, uh, as this conflict uh, has uh, has emerged. But have we noticed from your perspective anything different emerging uh, on the cyber world, on cyber stage due to the conflict? Yeah, I agree with Tom uh, on this point. Um, we need to be careful and we need to really always uh, be uh, ready. But uh, to this date, at least, we have not seen those massive uh, paralyzing attacks. Uh, the Ukrainian cybersecurity agency did mention they have suffered a number of attacks, thousands of uh, denial of service attack. You know, there was those attack of attacks that tried to crash, for instance, your, uh, your website, but they were not uh, sophisticated. They were not compl that complex as we were worried about. So I'm fully aligned with Tom's view on this front. Now, what do we do today is uh, how we work with our customers is we need to be ready. There is uh, two things. There is the first being becoming a collateral damage. If the um, cyber war get, uh, increases and become really a key element of the kinetic war, uh, organizations need to be ready in, term, in, in, case, in case there's a spillover, you know, of a cyber attack that is focusing on one, uh, on one geographical uh, um, uh, location and then spills over to the other organization. Another one is retaliation, as simple as that. Uh, we're standing with our principal, we're taking stances, and uh, uh, would there be any retaliation that might come to this way? So organization needs to be ready, as simple as that. What we do today is make a key element is the threat intelligence. So a key focus on what is happening, what can we see, what are those noises that could indicate and help us anticipate threats. This is a key element that we're doing and helping organization really make sure they have the proper maturity level, as I was saying, to defend from those mainstream, if I can call them cyber attacks, the cyber attacks that are leveraging vulnerabilities that we know we can protect 
we should be able to protect if we're doing our due diligence properly in terms of cybersecurity and help them be ready for those type of attacks that might hurt because we are not ready for them. Those zero days uh, or stealth sophisticated um, attack. And then we need to be ready for that in terms of how do we detect quickly and mitigate and block the attack so that it's just an attempted attack and not an, an actual impact on the organizations. And it's much more complicated than uh, how I am presenting it. So it really requires a lot of effort uh, from all the cybersecurity experts, and they are all on alert uh, for on this front. No, it's 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 amazing how we've had to sort of adapt and be prepared for what might happen and then what doesn't materialize as much as what does materialize. But then let, let's just looking forward and looking probably not even that far into the future, just into the near future. We see such a change happening in the world around us, obviously continuously around digital technology, but the the continued, I'd say, emergence of uh, Internet of Things environment, the IoT world, uh, the, the plethora of devices that we all carry around. I, I've spoken extensively over the years of uh, what I call the personal digital ecosystem that we all have. Uh, I, I, I coined that around the fact that we all have our infrastructure which is our, our, we pay for our, our connectivity, our broadband, our Wi-Fi, our, our, whether it be 5G. We have our platforms, the social media networks, uh, whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, Insta, whatever it is, your, your platform of choice. And then we have our infrastructure, the laptops, the phones, the devices. And this personal ecosystem, digital ecosystem that we create enables anyone anywhere to access us uh, 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 and whether they want to sell, whether they want to, we want to gamify it, but also around how how we can be vulnerable because of all those points of entry and all those uh, that connectivity that we're creating around us, and that, that's only going to uh, extrapolate at, at such scale. So, how do we see um, both Tom from a government's perspective uh, a cybersecurity strategy that can ensure from a public sector organization perspective i know you're talking about resilience in the public sector but how does that overlap or link in with personal resilience and i think that's probably a a question that i feel sometimes doesn't sort of get focused on as we talk about organizations in large structures well i i think I mean, I think the, the challenge of resilience is the challenge of uh, that that all businesses have is resilience demands waste, because if you if you don't have waste in the good times, you don't have resilience in the bad times, and and, that, and that's difficult for business because of course business quite rightly wants to use capital as efficiently as possible, uh, and to make sure that uh, every every pound is is you know is generating a a multiple of itself. But this is where we need to we need to look really hard at uh, at the reality of business today and realize that actually it's not simply uh, the old metric that you can use. You do actually have to think of when, you know, when the uh, when the bad times come um, and when you're under attack for whatever reason and by whichever state or whichever actor um, that you actually have the capability to defend yourself. Otherwise, it's a bit like insurance. You know, you can find it's much cheaper not to pay the insurance premium right up until your house burns down. And <laughs> it turns out to be much more expensive to uh, rebuild your house. So I think I think resilience is something that we really do need to think about. And it's something that businesses are beginning to think about again for the government. I mean, it really came in uh, with a stark you know, awakening in March 2020 when we realized that 
whatever it was, about 95% of our personal protective equipment for the National Health Service was made in a state uh, that was no longer cooperating particularly, and that was China. You know, so we've we found ourselves in a very different world ever since resilience has become, uh, you know, ever since COVID, because resilience really does matter. Zaina, you, you know, it's a constant, it's on every agenda that you talk about cyber resilience. Um, how do you how do you see the solutioning, the designing, the approach to uh, resilient strategies evolving in the near future? Yeah, I really like, you know, uh, the use of personal resilience. I think this is interesting as well from a consumer perspective, because, you know, you were mentioning smart objects, smart things and all those uh, interesting gadgets that we are adopting and they are improving our, our life. But the thing is, they are smart, but they are not secure at least not all of them. And this is the problem today is that consumers need help to understand, okay, if I want to adopt a smart object and install it in my house, how can I be sure that this is secure? You know, I mean, if they are not security experts, they cannot know that on their own. They need support, they need help. You know, uh, sometimes I say we have this energy efficiency labels, you know, they will tell us how much you consume energy. Maybe we need something like that about how much secure, the secure and privacy uh, uh, labels that will help maybe consumers know what choices can I have, or at least they know and they do an educated choice. I have selected an object. I know this is not secure, but it's then my choice, my responsibility of what happened. But we need to be able to help the consumer. This is if I'm talking a bit on the on the consumer side. Now, however, also uh, we are already building certain approach. So you have the Cyber Resilience Act that is being in preparation at the EU level that will help uh, push more security by design in the digital products, which we really need. We need to make sure nowadays that we are not thinking about security afterwards, you know, after we've developed a, a digital service and even put it into the market, then security is an afterthought. So there are also some um, approach from a regulation perspective or standard perspective that might uh, help steer the industry into the proper direction. Now afterwards, how we, how we go into building the cyber resilience from an enterprise perspective, when we know that the attack surface is increasing. We are adopting the cloud, we are adopting IoT object, edge computing. So we are adopting a new type of technology that makes that the fortress that was, you know, 15 years ago, your data is in a data center and that's it, is no longer viable. Data is pervasive, data is everywhere. So organization needs to also shift the approach about how do I build security across those devices? Because when I talk about the attack surface increasing, it means, you know, I have more doors and windows through which the cyber criminals might attempt to 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 penetrate uh, and um, compromise my, my environment. So this requires really a mature security approach, an agile security model, and the possibility to measure your security maturity across this complex and heterogeneous environment that you have. It, it, it's interesting, you know, and, and not wanting to, um, you know, get people worried about this, but with billions of devices being connected, uh, I, I always think of my own phone nowadays, and it, it's remarkable that we still call it a phone, be it a smartphone, because my heating, my car, my banking, my work, my television, everything, is being controlled by this device which i carry around with me and quite freely put around everywhere but you know how safe and secure should i feel about this device uh, and i think that language i think ongoing zena you were talking about you know 
how do how do people recognize the level of security something has and how we manage our security i think there's going to be a lot to be done about that um where both organizations and services uh device providers but no doubt there'll always be a role for government in helping people understand how to keep themselves uh safe and secure uh, as we move into this what i call in the name of this podcast a digital society because it's happening whether we like it or not um uh, and we want to make sure people feel and feel happy but trusting everything that they can do as best that they can so look com coming to probably my final couple of questions for you both um what would you say is the biggest area of challenge in the world of cybersecurity from a perspective of services? Because I personally um, think if I'm worried about one thing out of all services I use digitally, it'll probably be finances and banking, because I think, oh, I've got to make sure that's safe in school. But I do feel organizations in that environment have done a lot to help people feel secure about using those services. But do you see another area that you think people need to look at that a bit more? People need to uh, maybe focus in, uh, and it's an emerging area of potential challenge. I won't say threat, but challenge that needs to be focused on. Maybe I'll start with you, Tom. Well, I mean, I think I think there's an awful lot there. I mean, I think the, the emerging areas of challenge are, as you rightly say, how we integrate things into our own lives. You know, the Internet of Things, as you rightly say, is not just about your mobile phone, that we willingly have this tracking device, this listening device uh, that knows all of our secrets, knows everybody we've spoken to and knows exactly where we are at any time, day or night. Um, but actually, you know, the Internet of Things means that there's a whole load of other items, rather more innocent items that you may think of that, that know where we are um, from um, door, you know, those ring doorbells to many people's uh, heating devices. There are many, many of them have functions that allow them to listen to your conversation. I mean, in order to help them do the uh, the speech uh, the speech controls that so many of us like very much. And all of those devices, all of those thoughts require us to be aware of what kind of security we're using. And that's where I think, um, you know, the overlap again between the state and the private uh, is so important because we need to be making sure that, of course, companies like yours have checked out the chips and know what's in the code. But we also need to make sure uh, that the government uh, is able to say that some companies, companies connected to hostile states, for example, they're not allowed to use their chips, not allowed to use their uh, products in our code. And that's where, you know, many of us, me in particular, but m many of us um, uh, voted against the government on the Huawei decision uh, whenever that was about two, three years ago, uh, and have now been pushing on companies like Hikvision and so on that are connected to the Chinese state apparatus and are part of uh, an intelligence gathering network in China and may have overlap, may have spillover effects into into other parts of the world. So it really is, it, this is where the state and the uh, and the private sector again come together, because as you rightly say, uh, the, the connection between the two is so strong. No, thanks, Tom. And, and, and maybe for Zainab, adding on to that sort of, you know, where's it coming from? Uh, maybe I'll add from a technology perspective, how do you see, you know, this rapid explosion of AI, artificial intelligence? in this landscape yes indeed so um you know i think the key challenge that we have today from cybersecurity as well is how do i bring operational efficiency i have a complex environment an ever-changing environment and an organization and how do i make sure that the entire environment is secure i cannot just guess 
uh, of course, I need to focus on where the risk is high, but still, it's no longer a small perimeter. So we need to have solutions and tools that will help bring operational efficiency, that will be able to manage this crushing volume of data and be able to identify the noise, the noise that will help us do asset anticipation and being able to protect instead of responding. Uh, and indeed, AI, AI uh, is a key technology today that we are leveraging uh, in cybersecurity because it helps us uh, bring a faster analysis. Uh, it helps us really pinpoint and identify where the risk is increasing because in the end, it's always an approach of measuring the risk. So where the risk is increasing, where we are seeing some abnormal behavior that would require attention and it helps cybersecurity experts know where to focus. This is where the risk might be coming from. This is where the threat might be coming from. So this, I think, AI will definitely help um, a lot organizations on uh, on this front by embedding it in cybersecurity. So it's really in terms of operational efficiency. Imagine you have to manage all the identities, the digital identities in an organization, because we've seen every cyber attack in the end, it's about a compromised credential. So they will, in the end, compromise my user and a uh, user account in uh, my, my company and then leverage it to go and do the lateral movement and go find what they are searching for. So how do I make sure that all those identities are measured properly, that the access right are what I need to do because I change roles in an organization, for instance, and all of that AI will help as well in this provisioning and operational uh, efficiency, as well as helping in pinpointing where the problem might be and accelerating the detection, as well as the decision making in terms of, uh, of response. It's riveting. Uh, both of you, we, you know, we're coming to the end of our time. We could carry on this discussion because there's so much to cover. But as we've gone through the gambit of areas from international to individual to governmental challenges and emergence, it still comes back to that point of vulnerability, doesn't it? That, that where Where is the vulnerable point in that chain or that link or with that user or with that password? <laughs> Please don't use password as your password, everybody. Uh, and and how do we guard against it going forward? Um, uh, I, I think it, it, it is a challenging time, but it's also an exciting time of opportunity. We always say that cybersecurity is the golden thread through all innovation and technology. So now you're mentioning, you know, design it in to everything that we're doing, and, and we will continue to do that. And I know a number of people will, and working with governments internationally with national cybersecurity organizations to ensure we provide that coalition of safety and security, Tom, that you were highlighting, as Zainab, you were mentioning, we obviously want to do. Now, I have two very quick fire questions for both of you that I end all of these podcasts with. Uh, they've got nothing to do with cybersecurity, so I'll let you off the hook on the topic now. But uh, I'll start with you, Zainab. This is the first one. Um, how do you consume your media nowadays? And what I mean, and Tom, I'll come to you in a second on the same question. What I mean is, you know, in this world of where newspapers are still there, but they may be not with all the different channels, Twitter, websites, what is your go-to uh, point that you go to get your media fix, your news fix? Well, um, you might not like my answer because I don't go to one point. 
Uh, nowadays, I, I feel that I really need to check multiple sources, multiple outlets, multiple means in order to get the actual information that I'm searching for. You know, we, we live in a, in, in, in a world that, uh, you know, you have a lot of fake news, you have a lot of manipulation or misinformation that uh, you need to do uh, your own research sometimes to get the actual information. So uh, everything is digital for me, of course. Uh, so everything is on my my phone uh, and I really uh, use different outlets um, given that I have dual nationalities as well so I, I follow information a bit worldwide and multiple languages and uh, and in the end you know I do my conclusion about every single information that I'm searching for so in the end however it is time consuming for an individual today to be able to get the information that I'm searching for get educated on a certain topic news tri triage that you do you go through all these sources and you analyze and you get to the point very good tom you know you're a politician you you need to be on top of the news agenda where where, where are you heading and you, know, you know whether it's broadcast radio web what, what do you what do you tune into it's I, i'm afraid i'm uh, i'm i'm very much like zina i uh, i find myself um using uh, online platforms twitter and uh, is a very big source of news for me um uh, the online newspapers uh, I read a lot um, and the various news arbitration sites, uh, uh, you know, that, that effectively share different content. I use quite a lot. And then and I have to say, I'm, you know, I'm still a Tory MP, so I do read The Times in the morning. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. I'm glad you have the time. Uh, I think news, uh, news aggregator sites, actually, I'm a quite fan now, actually. I've become more and more so because uh, there's so much out there. And I think they're only going to explode further. But now the final, final question, and this is a quick one. And what I'm looking for is a is a number. So uh, if I gave you a scale from zero to ten, and at ten you're an absolute techno geek, you go out and get the latest gadgets. You're in those queues around those shops. We all know which shops they are when they're selling the latest version of their device or software patch, whatever it may be. You're there. You're number ten. You're a techno geek, or you're kind of at the other end of the scale. You, you, you don't want to embrace it immediately. You take your time. You might get to it eventually. Where would you put yourself? Technophobe or techno geek? Zayna. One yeah. to ten. Zero to I'm ten. A, I'm a techno geek, so I have oh, okay. a guilty, guilty as charge. <laughs> uh, but I would say I am not necessarily from the people that, uh, you know, the, the first buyers, you know. I, I really like to understand what is this gadget about before buying it. But yeah, I'm a so techno geek. Where would you put yourself? Would so you I would be... Um, 8.5 over 10. 8.5, very good, very good. Tom, where, where, where do you find yourself? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely on the 7.8 sort of patch. I'm, I'm, um, I, I, I'm not the first adopter on, on everything, but I, but I do, I'm, I'm online an awful lot, and I, and I, I like kit that counts and, and tells you stuff. Uh, and so I find myself using sort of various, you know, heart rate monitors and and, uh, and and phones that do things in odd ways anyway so I'm, I'm i'm quite keen on that fabulous fabulous well look on that note kit that counts that sounds brilliant kit that safe even better and secure um tom tugenhat mp uh zainab secure our cto for digital style security and digital thank you both for joining me on this edition of the digital society podcast we will be back with more exciting guests uh, shortly. But for me, for now, it's goodbye. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. To learn more about the podcast or suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please contact us 
at digitalsociety at atos.net or visit the Atos website.